Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, and we are on episode number 279. Today's topic is Reagan's Empire. Reagan's Empire. So what we're going to do is take a little journey back to May 9th, 1984, when President Ronald Reagan is speaking to the nation. We're going to look at some of what he has to say, and we're going to compare it with what really happened in history. So why this topic? Why are we talking about Reagan's empire? Well, the purpose of the climate report is to figure out how to solve the problem of climate change. And a major obstacle to solving the problem of climate change is the military-industrial complex. The amount of money we spend on arms, the amount of carbon that's generated as a result of arms, and not just carbon, but water pollution, air pollution, and what the military-industrial complex does to the psychology of Americans, what the never-ending war on terror does to our psychology and our society, what the war against communism did to our society and to our psychology. All of these things have a profound effect on how we relate to our environment. So let's talk about the Earth for just a minute. The Earth is, you know, it, it travels around the Sun at a rate of approximately a thousand miles per hour. And if you held the Earth in your hand, or if it was a regular sized globe, and if you painted it with a coat of paint, and then you painted it again with a coat of paint, those two coats of paint are about the thickness of the atmosphere. So you know, the atmosphere that, that seems like there's so much room, but our atmosphere is really a, a paper-thin layer around the Earth. And it, it's sailing, the Earth is sailing through space at a thousand miles per hour. It is the only habitable planet that we know of in the entire universe. It is the only place we have to live and yet, and we also know that we have the power to destroy all life on Earth, or at least most life that would include us. I mean, certainly ever since the uh, nuclear bomb was set off in 1945, we know that we have the power to destroy all human life on Earth and many other species with it. And yet here we are Many, uh, we're treating it like uh, without a care in the world. We're treating it like we don't have a care in the world. We're treating the earth as if we are always going to have clean air and clean water and healthy soil to grow our food in. We're treating the earth as if we will always have pollinators to pollinate the plants, which not only give us a great deal of our food, but also almost all of our oxygen comes from plants those plants need to be pollinated. So we need those pollinators, but we're acting as if we don't need those pollinators. And I'm not here to throw you on a guilt trip because you and I are just individuals. We're just one, we're, we're, you and I are just two of the seven and a half billion people on the planet. We're just one, uh, two of 350 million Americans. What we need is not so much individual change as systemic change. Uh, we, need to, we need to acknowledge that we live 
in a plutocracy. We need to acknowledge that although we're told that we live in a democracy, we live in anything but a democracy. We live in a society that although we have some freedoms and uh, some privileges, we are pretty much controlled, you know, we're controlled by the people at the top. You and I don't have a, a much of a say in what goes on. And yet there are certain activities and systems that we need to get under control. We need to get the military industrial complex under control. We, uh, I, I, 278 episodes of the climate report has led me to the conclusion that we will not win the uh, fight for a stable, healthy climate unless we get the military industrial complex under control. It is supposed to be under civilian control, but yet it is not because we civilians don't approve of what is going on, uh, what our military industrial complex does. We've been in endless wars. So that's why it's important for us to know our history. We have to go back in history and we have to know what really happened because our schools did not teach us what really happened. So let's take a journey back and I'm going to read Reagan's uh, address to the nation on May 9th, 1984. I'm going to first read several paragraphs and then I'm going to go back and critique it. So he starts out, uh, this is entitled Reagan's Address to the Nation on United States Policy in Central America, May 9th, 1984. He says, my fellow Americans, last week I was in Beijing and Shanghai. Three weeks from now, I'll be preparing to leave for Dublin, Normandy, and the annual economic summit in London. I'm pleased that our trip to China was a success. I had long and thoughtful meetings with the Chinese leadership. Though our two countries are very different, we are building a strong relationship in a genuine spirit of cooperation, and that's good for the cause of peace. This was our second trip to Asia in the last six months. It demonstrates our awareness of America's responsibility for leadership in the Pacific Basin, an area of tremendous economic vitality. I believe our relations with our Asian allies and friends have never been better. But that isn't what I want to talk to you about. I ask for this time to tell you of some basic decisions which are yours to make. I believe it's my constitutional responsibility to place these matters before you. They have to do with our national security and the security, and that security is the single most important function of the federal government. In that context, it is my duty to anticipate problems, warn of dangers, and act so as to keep harm away from our shores. Our diplomatic objectives will not be attained by goodwill and noble aspirations alone. In the last 15 years, the growth of Soviet military power has meant a radical change in the nature of the world we live in. Now, this does not mean, as some would have us believe, that we're in imminent danger of nuclear war. We're not. As long as we maintain the strategic balance 
and make it more stable by reducing the level of weapons on both sides, then we can count on the basic prudence of the Soviet leaders to avoid that kind of challenge to us. They are presently challenging us with a different kind of weapon, subversion, and the use of surrogate forces, Cubans for example. We've seen it intensifying during the last 10 years as the Soviet Union and its surrogates moved to establish control over Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Angola, Ethiopia, South Yemen, Afghanistan, and recently, closer to home, in Nicaragua and now El Salvador. It's the fate of this region, Central America, that I want to talk to you about tonight. The issue is our effort to promote democracy and economic well-being in the face of Cuban and Nicaraguan aggression, aided and abetted by the Soviet Union. It is definitely not about plans to send American troops into combat in Central America. Each year, the Soviet Union provides Cuba with $4 billion in assistance and it sends tons of weapons to foment revolution here in our hemisphere. The defense policy of the United States is based on a single premise. We do not start wars. We will never be the aggressor. We maintain our strength in order to deter and defend against aggression, to preserve freedom and peace. We help our friends defend themselves. Central America is a region of great importance to the United States, and it is so close. San Salvador is closer to Houston, Texas than Houston is to Washington, D.C. Central America is America. It's at our doorstep, and it's become the stage for a bold attempt by the Soviet Union, Cuba, and Nicaragua to install communism by force throughout the hemisphere. When half of our shipping tonnage and imported oil passes through the Caribbean shipping lanes, and nearly half of all our foreign trade passes through the Panama Canal and Caribbean waters, America's economy and well-being are at stake. Right now in El Salvador, Cuban-supported aggression has forced more than 400,000 men, women, and children to flee their homes. And in all of Central America, more than 800,000 people have fled, many, if not most, living in unbelievable hardship. Concerns about the prospect of hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing communist oppression to seek entry into our country are well-founded. What we see in El Salvador is an attempt to destabilize the entire region and eventually move chaos and anarchy toward the American border. As the National Bipartisan Commission on Central America, chaired by Henry Kissinger, agreed, if we do nothing, if we continue to provide too little help, our choice will be a communist Central America with additional communist military bases on the mainland of this hemisphere and communist subversion spreading southward and northward. The communist subversion poses the threat 
that a hundred million people from Panama to the open border of our South could come under the control of pro-Soviet regimes. If we come to our senses too late, when our vital interests are even more directly threatened, and after a lack of American support causes our friends to lose the ability to defend themselves, then the risks to our security and our way of life will be infinitely greater. But there is a way to avoid these risks, recommended by the National Bipartisan Commission on Central America. It requires long-term American support for democratic development, economic and security assistance, and strong-willed diplomacy. There have been a number of high-level bilateral meetings with the Nicaraguan government where we presented specific proposals for peace. I have appointed two special ambassadors who have made more than 10 trips to the region in pursuit of peace during the last year. And Central America's democratic neighbors, Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, and Panama, have launched a comprehensive initiative for peace through what is known as the Contadora process. The United States fully supports the objectives of that process. We can and must help Central America. It's in our national interest to do so. And morally, it's the only right thing to do. But helping means doing enough, enough to protect our security and enough to protect the lives of our neighbors so that they may live in peace and democracy without the threat of communist aggression and subversion. This has been our policy, the policy of our administration for more than three years. But making this choice requires a commitment from all of us, our administration, the American people, and the Congress. So far, we have not yet made that commitment. We've provided just enough aid to avoid outright disaster, but not enough to resolve the crisis, so El Salvador is being left to slowly bleed to death. Part of the problem, I suspect, is not that Central America isn't important, but that some people think our administration may be exaggerating the threat we face. Well, if that's true, let me put that issue to rest. I want to tell you a few things tonight about the real nature of the Sandinista regime in Nicaragua. The Sandinistas who rule Nicaragua are communists whose relationship and ties to Fidel Castro of Cuba go back a quarter of a century. A number of the Sandinistas were trained in camps supported by Cuba, the Soviet bloc, and the PLO. It is important to note that Cuba, the Sandinistas, the Salvadoran communist guerrillas, and the PLO have all worked together for many years. In 1978, the Sandinistas and elements of the PLO joined in a declaration of war against Israel. The Cuban-backed Sandinistas made a major attempt to topple the Somoza regime in Nicaragua in the fall of 1978. They failed. They were then called to Havana, where Castro cynically instructed them in the ways of successful communist insurrection. 
He told them to tell the world they were fighting for political democracy, not communism. But most important, he instructed them to form a broad alliance with the genuinely democratic opposition to the Somoza regime. Castro explained that this would deceive Western public opinion, confuse potential critics, and make it difficult for Western democracies to oppose the Nicaraguan revolution without causing great dissent at home. You see, that's how Castro managed his revolution, and we have to confess he fooled a lot of people here in our own country. Or don't you remember when he was referred to in some of our press as the George Washington of Cuba? The Sandinistas listened and learned. They returned to Nicaragua and promised to establish democracy. The Organization of American States on June 23, 1979 passed a resolution stating that the solution for peace in Nicaragua required that the Somoza, that Somoza step down and that free elections be held as soon as possible to establish a truly democratic government that would guarantee peace, freedom, and justice. The Sandinistas then promised the OAS, that's the Organization of American States, in writing that they would do these things. Well, Somoza left and the Sandinistas came to power. This was a negotiated settlement based on power sharing between communists and genuine Democrats, like the one that some have proposed for El Salvador today. Because of these promises, the previous U.S. administration and other Western governments tried in a hopeful way to encourage Sandinista success. Now, let's talk about this. I'm only about a third of the way through the speech, but let's talk about some of the prevailing themes that we see. One prevailing theme is that the communists are the aggressors. It is never thought that the Americans might be the aggressors. You know, were, were the Americans not the aggressors in Vietnam? Were Americans not the aggressors when we overthrew the, the, um, the democratically elected government in, in, uh, in Guatemala in 1954? Were the Americans not the aggressors when we overthrew the democratically elected government in Iran in 1953? Were the Americans not the aggressors when we overthrew the uh, democratically elected government in Chile in 1971? And what Reagan is trying to say is that the communists are always the aggressors and we are always trying to defend ourselves. So I've got 10 prevailing themes here in Reagan's speech. Let's talk about them. Prevailing theme number one is that communists are the aggressors. Prevailing theme number two is that we have the best interests of the people in mind. But do we have the best interests of the people in mind when we're depriving them of democracy? In Guatemala, we've deprived people of democracy. In uh, Brazil, in the mid-1960s, we deprived people of democracy. In Indonesia, in the mid-1960s, we deprived them of their democracy. In Vietnam, I would say that although they didn't strictly have a democratic government, but, they didn't, but we were not defending a democratic government either. I mean, the... the, the in South Vietnam, we, we were just not defending the good guys. But what Reagan wants to, us to believe here is that we, the United States, always have the best interests of the people in mind. Prevailing theme number three in Reagan's speech, 
we must defend ourselves. It's as if, you know, why do we have to defend ourselves? I mean, prevailing theme number four, we must meet force with force and violence with violence. People are going to do violence against us if we don't do violence against them. But is that true? Prevailing theme number five, uh, he talks about the national interest. Whenever you hear the word national interest, your BS detector should go off because whenever they talk about the national interest, uh, they're trying to get you and I to believe that if you're an average American, they're trying to get you to believe that your interests are the same as the oligarchs and the plutocrats who own a lot of wealth, own a lot of shares, own a lot of property, and it's just all the national interest. But, you know, next time somebody uses the term national interest, ask them what national interest is. What does it even mean? Prevailing theme number six is we want peace. But do we want peace? Does the United States want peace? Has the United States ever wanted peace? We've been at war almost every year for the entire existence of our, of our nation. Uh, from 1776 up until 1900, we were at war with the Native Americans. And after that, we, we've been at war with the people in Latin America, been at war with the people in the Middle East. We've always, and then there was the Cold War, which was not a very cold war if you ask the people who got caught in the crossfire. But a prevailing theme in Reagan's speech is that we want peace, but we don't want peace. Prevailing theme number seven, we support democracy. Does the United States really support democracy? I like saying, you know, show me one time when we've ever truly supported a democracy and I'll show you 10 times, if not 100 times, when we have done everything possible to undermine democracy. It's because the, the federal government of the United States does not want to work with, other, with democracies in other countries. They're too unpredictable. They're too likely to assert their own will against the interests of the quote-unquote United States, whatever that is. You know, is the United States the federal government? Is the United States the people of the United States? Is the United States the military of the United States? Is the United States the corporations of the United States? And that's what you're usually talking about, is the United Corporations of America. And we do not support democracy. Prevailing theme number eight is that we promote freedom. But do we promote freedom? Does the United States promote freedom around the world? Just because we're taught that we have all this freedom doesn't mean we do. And within the United States, yes, we have some freedoms, especially if you're white, if you're, a, you know, people of color have a hard way to go. But the freedoms that we have are overrated, and we certainly do not promote freedom in other countries. I mean, do we promote freedom or oppression in Saudi Arabia? Do we promote freedom or oppression anywhere in Central America? El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, these are places that are severely oppressed. In Mexico, there's a lot of oppression that goes on in Mexico because of United States foreign policy. Prevailing theme number nine, Castro is bad and a threat to us. Well, if you think Castro is bad, if you think Castro, he's dead now, but if you think Castro was bad, 
Then how about Batista? Batista was the ruler of Cuba, the pro-U.S. ruler of Cuba before uh, Castro got into power. How was the life of Cubans before Castro? How was the life of Cubans under Batista? So this is what people don't want to talk about. This is what the media doesn't want to talk about. This is what our history books don't want to talk about. But how was Cuba under Batista? Prevailing theme number 10 in Reagan's speech is that the Soviet Union is bad. And I'm not saying the, the, the Soviet Union was categorically good, but they weren't categorically bad either. And we are deluded if we think that the United States is categorically good. We've been taught fairy tales. We've been taught that the Soviet Union is a fairy tale villain and that the United States is a fairy tale hero. And we make mistakes, but gosh, we mean well. Well, not so much. If you look at the truth of history, if you look at the facts of history, and if you look at them objectively, you cannot help but conclude that the United States does not always mean well. In fact, quite often we do great harm. So we've got just a few minutes left. Let me leave you with something to think about. In my experience, all presidential speeches are a parade of lies. And I'm not being unduly negative when I say that. I'm not being unduly cynical when I say that. Plus, I don't expect you to believe it just because I say it. But it is, it, it's how I see it. I've, I've studied and talked about uh, speeches from multiple presidents like Clinton when he signed NAFTA. I've talked uh, about uh, you know, Obama and his national security strategy. I talked about George H.W. Bush uh, in the speech that he gave after we won the first war in Iraq, the Gulf War. And if you look at the speech in its historical context, if you compare what the president is saying with the true underlying facts, it is nothing more than a parade of lies. In fact, you know, nearly everything they say is just the opposite of the truth. And this speech by Reagan is no different. So I.F. Stone is one of the most, one of the best reporters of the 20th century. I.F. Stone says, every government is run by liars and nothing they say should be believed. So here we are, you know, our, our planet is hanging in the balance. Our climate is hanging in the balance and is already claiming, you know, thousands, if not millions of lives every year. By nearly every major indicator of what it takes to maintain life on Earth, we are losing ground. And we are at the mercy of an out-of-control system that wants us to believe they're on our side. The plutocrats want us to believe that, that they're on our side, but they're anything but on our side. And they can't help themselves but destroy the very life, you know, to, to destroy the very foundations of life on earth. So that's why we need to understand true history instead of allowing ourselves to be misled by the lies that we've been told about history. And if we can do this, then we're going to start to say, wow, 
my life is a lot harder than it has to be because people are stealing from me. People are stealing everything that matters. A few people at the top are stealing from us everything that matters. And when we realize that and act upon it, we will be able to create a whole new world. If you have any questions or comments on this material, please email me at info at theclimatereport.net. That's info at theclimatereport.net. I hope you have a great day. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, and we are on episode number 280. Today's topic is Reagan's Empire. So we've been talking about Reagan's address to the nation on United States policy in Central America. Don't go to sleep. This is important stuff. This was delivered on May 9th, 1984. And, you know, if you want to know what's, uh, what's wrong with immigration today, if you want to know... Uh, what's if you want to know why the people of Central America and Latin America are poor, then we need to understand the truth behind U.S. foreign policy. Because what we've been told is that it's all about spreading freedom and democracy, and that is a pack of lies. Nothing could be further from the truth than to say the United States is all about spreading, spreading freedom and democracy. The United States spreads oppression and dictatorship all over the world every day a hundred times before breakfast. So this is the climate report. Why are we talking about Reagan on the climate report? Why are we talking about Central America on the climate report? Well, Reagan's speech was all about, hey, we have to go to Central America and we have to fight for freedom against the evil communists. It's a warlike mentality. It's like we're going to have to, it's like they're being aggressive against us. And nothing, nothing can be further from the truth. There were times when the Soviets played chess with us on the world stage, so to speak. You know, they, they uh, helped Cuba so Cuba could defend itself. But they weren't the aggressors. We were the aggressors. And Reagan is trying to make us think that, you know, we're just defending ourselves. It reminds me of Beverly Hills Cop when Eddie Murphy goes into this place that he shouldn't be in and he confronts this rich guy who's actually the bad guy, but Eddie Murphy just kind of walks into his office like he owns the place and kind of acts in a threatening way toward this guy. They end up throwing him out the window (laughs) and Eddie Murphy says, I was minding my own business. Well, he was doing anything but minding his own business. He was a Detroit cop. He was all the way in L.A., What's a Detroit cop doing in L.A.? You know, he's not not minding his own business. He's investigating a crime. Well, in that instance, Eddie Murphy was kind of the good guy. But in this instance, the United States is, is is the bad guy, claiming to just be defending ourselves, claiming to just be minding our own business. 
and we're just spreading oppression all over the world. So why are we talking about this on the Climate Report? Because 279 episodes of the Climate Report have led me to believe that we have to get rid of the military-industrial complex, or at least reduce it by 90%. It is responsible for a whole lot of carbon. It is responsible for a whole lot of air pollution and water pollution. It costs a whole lot of money. The, it changes our psychology. Being involved in endless wars changes our psychology. And being involved in endless wars is based on lies, lies, and more lies. There is not a high enough number to count the number of lies we've been told to support the American empire and the American military-industrial complex. That's why it's important that we talk about this. It's important that we replace lies with truth. And it is urgent that we do this. It is urgent that we learn the truth of our history. So let's dig into Reagan's speech, and, and I'll comment on each paragraph as I go. He says, They, the Soviets, are presently challenging us with a different kind of weapon, subversion, and the use of surrogate forces, Cubans, for example. We've seen it intensifying during the last 10 years as the Soviet Union and its surrogates moved to establish control over Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Angola, South Yemen, Afghanistan, and recently, closer to home, in Nicaragua, and now El Salvador. It's the fate of this region, Central America, that I want to talk to you tonight. So he says the evil Soviets are trying to establish control over, among other countries, Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And it's like, hello, we killed three million people in Vietnam, probably five million people in the entire region when you count everything, Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. It's a war that started in the early 60s and ended in the mid-70s. We went in there, guns blazing, and slaughtered civilians. We also had a program called the Phoenix Program that was an absolute nightmare in terms of you know, we're taught that we're supposed to have freedom in the United States and we're promoting freedom, but we're, you know, falsely accusing people of being communists or even if they are communists, hello, it's their own country. Can they not be affiliated with communists in their own country? We had no reason to be in Vietnam except for empire. We had no right to be in Vietnam. And here Reagan is, 10 years later, saying the Soviets are moving to establish control over Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. What were we doing in Vietnam other than establishing control over that country and in the worst way? We used guns, we used bombs, we used a chemical agent called Agent Orange, that had a terrible toxic substance in it called dioxin, and we did that to, uh, to defoliate the trees or to get the leaves off the trees so we could see where the enemy was. What gave us the right, countless millions of tons of Agent Orange 
were dropped. The stats are horrifying as far as what we did in Vietnam. And Reagan is saying the Soviet Union and its surrogates are trying to establish control over Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. This is the height of hypocrisy and is the worst kind of lie because you're trying to pose as the good guy when you're anything but the good guy. Another thing he says here is that the Soviets are using like a different kind of weapon as opposed to nuclear weapons. They're using subversion. Well, the thing about the word subversion, it's like subversion is a form of the word subvert. So it's like they are trying to subvert our government or maybe other governments. For one, So there's two things about subversion. One thing is it even true? And another thing, if it were true, would it be a bad thing? And another thing, if it is true, is it any worse than the subversion that we are doing in countries all over the world every day, sometimes at the expense of thousands, if not millions, of lives? So subversion is one of those words like terrorism. It's vague. And what are you even talking about? But if you have the media that just repeats your lies and repeats your fear mongering, then you can use words like subversion and it instills fear in people. And yet nobody knows what you're even talking about. Another thing that he mentions in this paragraph is Angola. Yeah, the, in Angola, in like the, uh, you know, it was, it was in the 80s. The, the Cuban, yes, yes, Cuban troops were in Angola. And Cuban troops were fighting against forces that were supported by the United States. But who's the good guys and who's the bad guys? If you ask me, in Angola, the Cubans were the good guys. They were defending themselves against troops supported by the United States. They were defending themselves against troops supported by apartheid South Africa. See, the United States was a great friend of apartheid South Africa. So apartheid South Africa means that, you know, there was the, just the worst kind of racism where apartheid means separateness. So white people lived separately from black people. Black people are very oppressed. They're still oppressed in, uh, in South Africa, but at least they have more legal rights than they did before. Nelson Mandela became the president of South Africa. Uh, Nelson Mandela, an African uh, individual, uh, you know, a black individual became the president of South Africa. So the United States was on the wrong side of history as you know, if we knew our history, we would understand that the United States so often is on the wrong side of history. And Reagan is trying to make it look like we're the good guys and we're fighting against the bad guys. But the truth is often quite the opposite. Now, in the next paragraph, Reagan tells the biggest lie that's ever been told. And this, this could be, you know, forget the fact that this is a Republican talking. This could be, you know, Clinton told huge lies. Obama told huge lies. Carter told huge lies. 
Democrats and Republicans both tell huge lies. But Reagan says here, the defense policy of the United States is based on a simple premise. We do not start wars. We will never be the aggressor. Now that's the biggest lie that's ever been told. We do not start wars. Did we not start the war in Vietnam? Did we not, uh, you know, and look at all the regime changes. Have we not, you know, you know, the CIA is everywhere. The CIA was instrumental in the overthrow of Mohammed Mossadegh in Iran, 1953. Uh, Jacobo Arbenz in Guatemala, 1954. Salvador Allende in Chile in 1973. The United States was responsible for the overthrow of Sukarno in Indonesia in, 1960, in the mid-60s. The United States is, is responsible for the continued oppression of the Palestinians in Israel. The United States has been carrying on a terrorist war against Cuba ever since 1960. The United States supports so-called security forces throughout Latin America. Many of them are trained in the School of the Americas, which is, if you know about the School of Americas, you know that they are not the good guys. They go all over Latin America, training Latin American governments in the tools, uh, in, in, in tools of oppression such as torture, such as surveillance, such as the extrajudicial killings of innocent people. So it's the height of duplicity and it's the height of arrogance and it's the height of dishonesty to say that we do not start wars. So Reagan says here, as the National Bipartisan Commission on Central America, chaired by Henry Kissinger, agreed, if we do nothing, if we continue to provide too little help, our choice will be a communist Central America with additional communist military bases on the mainland of this hemisphere and communist subversion spreading southward and northward. Okay, so as if the communists are the bad guys, as if communism is a bad thing. Now, Americans get really confused here for a couple of reasons. One is that we were never told the truth about what our own country was doing during the Cold War. So we, do, we always bought into this thing that said the United States is the good guy and the Russians are the bad guy and the communist Chinese are the bad guy. We always, we always, that was all we were ever told, so most of us bought that. The other thing that's, another thing that's confusing is communism is never defined, so we're going all over Latin America killing communist babies. You know, what are we doing killing babies? Well, they're communist babies. They're communist children. They're communist women, they're communist old people, they're communist priests, and they're communist nuns, and they're communist labor organizers. All of them are communists. The fact that we want to kill them, that's what makes them communist. If you want to kill somebody, call them communist. So there's really no... The, the, the word communist, the definition of communist is wonderfully elastic. If you can stretch it to mean whatever 
you want it to mean. And for the most part, communist was used to refer to anybody who was trying to do good things for the people of El Salvador, or the people of Nicaragua, or the people of Guatemala, or Brazil, or Cuba, or Venezuela. So communists are always the bad guys, mainly because they are anti, they're, they're, they oppose some of the policies of U.S. business. So, you know, U.S. business, business is always opposed to labor organizing. So if you want to stop labor organizing, what you do is call people communist, and then you declare war on them. So here's something else I wanted to point out in this paragraph. It says, Henry Kissinger, we're relying on Henry Kissinger to be a witness here. It says, as the National Bipartisan Commission on Central America, chaired by Henry Kissinger, agreed. So we're going to rely on Henry Kissinger to tell us the truth here. Henry Kissinger, let me tell you two things about Henry Kissinger. One is that he orchestrated the coup in 1973 in Chile, where they murdered a murdered Salvador Allende, the popularly, democratically elected president of Chile. They murdered him and uh, replaced him with a terrible fascist dictator by the name of Augusto Pinochet. Henry Kissinger was responsible for that. So Henry Kissinger, we, we now know, uh, through documents that have been released. He said something to the effect that, you know, it wouldn't, re wouldn't be a good thing to have a popularly elected Marxist government in Central America, cause it, in South America, because it could spread kind of like a virus. In other words, it was the threat of a bad idea. So, I mean, Henry Kissinger is a war criminal. Let me tell you something else about Henry Kissinger. In Cambodia, okay, so Cambodia was the, a neighboring country to Vietnam. And there was a time when we weren't satisfied with slaughtering Vietnamese. We had to go to Cambodia and slaughter them too because they were communists. So we're going to kill communist babies and communist women, and communist non-combatants, and destroy communist villages. And, uh, you know, Richard Nixon was fed up. This was in the Nixon administration in the early 70s. Richard Nixon was fed up with not winning this war. So he wanted to get rid of the Cambodians. So he said, he told Henry Kissinger, anything that flies against anything that moves, meaning we're going to take all of our planes, all of our bombs, all of our helicopters, and we're going to, make war on anything that moves. That means animals, that means children, that means um, civilians, that means villages, that means livestock. Anything that moves, we're going to slaughter them. Well, that's the language of a war criminal. That's the order of a war criminal. Henry Kissinger carried out that order because he was the national security advisor of Richard in Richard Nixon's administration. So Nixon, a war criminal, Kissinger, a war criminal, because you don't, you don't do this stuff in civilized society. I think all war is uncivilized, but you know, this was, this was, we were clearly the aggressors in this situation. Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger are both clearly war criminals in this situation. So Reagan is saying, we're going to rely on Henry Kissinger to tell us the truth about what's going on 
in Central America. And Henry Kissinger says if we do nothing, if we continue to provide too little help, our choice will be a communist Central America with additional communist military bases on the mainland of this hemisphere and communist subversion spreading southward and northward. Well, this is deluded paranoia. This is violent people using violence to get their way. This is the, these are the lies of war criminals. Now, let's continue reading Reagan's speech. He says, uh, this, this communist subversion, there's that word subversion again, this communist subversion poses the threat that a hundred million people from Panama to the open border of our South could come under the control of pro-Soviet regimes. Again, I tell you, this is deluded paranoia. This is what somebody says when they want to dominate you and they don't want you to be able to defend yourself. So, and if you want to make war on another country, you have to convince your people, Americans, if you want Americans to go to war with another country, you have to convince Americans that they are under threat. All of the worst wars in history have been justified on the basis of we're just defending ourselves and they are a threat to us. We have to be afraid of them. So there's nothing rational about the United States feeling afraid of Central America. There is everything rational about Central American countries being afraid of the United States. So here Reagan refers to pro-Soviet regimes. And I'm thinking, where are these pro-Soviet regimes that he's talking about? Yes, Cuba accepted aid from the Soviet Union, but they were mainly defending themselves. Americans have never been told a half or a fourth or a tenth or a hundredth of what really has gone on in the United States terrorist war against Cuba. And so, you know, what gives us the right to interfere in their country for one thing? For another thing, what gives us the right to have sanctions on Cuba? What gives us the right to have an embargo against Cuba? And then, is Nicaragua a pro-Soviet regime? So there was a time, in around about the time that Reagan is delivering this speech, there was a supposedly a shipment of Russian MiGs going to Nicaragua. A MiG is a fighter plane. So it's like, oh, Soviets are sending MiGs to Nicaragua. And it turned out not to be true, which was the one thing, you know. So the report wasn't even true. But then a question is, does Nicaragua have a right to defend itself against American aggression? Because at the time, the United States was arming and funding and training the Contras. The Contras were supposedly the rebels in Nicaragua, but really they were just thugs. Uh, you see, the Somoza regime was a dictatorship of Nicaragua up until about 1980, and then they were ousted. So the Contras were these Somozas that had been ousted and they wanted control back. They wanted their dictatorship back. So the United States is funding the Contras to try to get the Contras, which are, you know, thugs, 
to overthrow a basically fundamentally democratic government of Nicaragua. You know, over the course, no government is perfect, but over the course of time, show me a Latin American government that is more consistently democratic than Nicaragua. And we were at war with the most, we we're at war with Nicaragua. We're still at war with Nicaragua. We're still imposing sanctions on Nicaragua. So what does it say, assuming what I just said is true, and it wouldn't be hard to explain and defend it, but what does it say about the United States that for 40 years or more, we have been at war with the most democratic government in Central America? It says that we're not going around the world promoting democracy. It says that we're not going around the world promoting freedom. It says that we're not going around the world promoting human rights. So here's the United States making war on Nicaragua, making war on Cuba. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves, was Nicaragua better off before or after 1980? because after 1980 is when the so-called communists took over. They're actually just democratic socialists. But you know, after 1980, are the people of Nicaragua better off before or after 1980? Are they better off uh, under the pro-U.S. regime or the regime that wants the U.S. to leave it alone? Nicaragua has been much better off under the regime that wants the U.S. to leave it alone. Same with Cuba. Is Cuba better off after 1960 or before 1960? Before 1960 was Bautista. After 1960 was uh, Fidel Castro. Are the people of Cuba better off under Fidel Castro or under Bautista? If you look at the stats the, if, and the data and the facts, you will conclude that the people of Cuba are much better off under the Castro regime, and Castro's dead, but you know, from up to the present, much better off under the regime that just wants the U.S. to leave them alone, and much worse off under the regime, under the pro-U.S. regime. So in this speech, Reagan is acting like these countries of Central America are somehow a threat to the United States. So my question is, how are they a threat to the United States? Are they a military threat? Well, is Nicaragua a military threat to the United States? Well, Reagan is trying to make us think that they are a military threat to the United States because they're being supported by Cuba, which is in turn being supported by the Soviet Union. And yes, the Soviet Union supported Cuba arguably, to en enable them to defend themselves against U.S. aggression. But, you see, Reagan had a problem. You can't convince the American people that Nicaragua alone is a threat. So you have to convince them that it's a pro-Soviet regime. That here's this big bad boogeyman, the Soviet Union, which has never been a tenth as aggressive toward us as we have been toward them. If you really want to look at who's been aggressive, the United States has been 
the aggressor all over the world. So I've got a couple of minutes left. Let me leave you with something to think about. Before I forget it, always feel free. Email me info at theclimatereport.net if you have any questions or comments or you would like me to cover a certain topic on a future show. Info at theclimatereport.net. So why are we talking about Reagan and Central America in the Climate Report? So the Climate Report is about solving the problem of climate change, at least figuring out how we would solve the problem of climate change if we were so inclined. And one of the most important things for us to do is to be peaceful and not aggressive toward other countries. Because for one thing, it costs us over a trillion dollars a year to be aggressive toward other countries. It costs a whole lot of money. It costs us time. It costs us attention. It costs a lot of people lives. We're supposed to be this big Christian country. Well, how about the golden rule? You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. The United States does not, does not treat other countries the way anybody would want to be treated. Not to mention that the military-industrial complex just spews carbon, carbon, carbon. All of, you know, we have to get our carbon under control if we're going to get climate under control. So the military-industrial complex and all this war is a complete distraction. And I believe that if enough people know that, then we can solve these problems. But we have to teach enough people our true history, not the lies we've all been taught. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day.